boys and girls, welcome back to another episode of the Chocolate Puma Podcast. It is I, your boy, the Chocolate Puma, back giving you a little bit of what my 20 listener nation has probably been craving. Took a couple of weeks off, Uh, been a busy month at work, not to mention I also started another podcast. That one will be every other week with uh, former guest of the show, Sterling Hawkam Anderson, so check us out on Life is Mild, but that doesn't mean I'm not going to give you what you need here, and this week, this one's a good one, this one's a special one, a uh, longtime friend of mine, this predates the show, this is the man that gave me the moniker, the Chocolate Puma, my good friend from high school, Kevin McInerney, came on, and we had a great talk. We talked about baseball. We talked about our beloved White Sox, our beloved Chicago Bulls. We roasted Dabo Sweeney, and then we ended it up uh, giving you some of the greatest action heroes, some of the greatest action villains, some of the greatest trash bags in all of television, excuse me, in all of movie history. Um, So I I think you all will enjoy it. Uh, Had a great Thanksgiving with a very small small set, uh, not the big affairs that we're used to, but hopefully all of you were safe, all of you uh, had a lot to be thankful for, and ladies and gentlemen, let me give to you Kevin McInerney. I still find it hard sometimes to sit down like on a Tuesday night and watch a three hour baseball game. So, uh, like normally in the past when, you know, the stadium's open, like I would just go to a bunch of games and, you know, and watch a handful here and there. I watched most of the games this year and this was the most fun regular season in spite of everything else. If you could block out the, everything that else is going on and sort of get over the guilt of even having sports being played to me, this was the most fun regular season that I remember watching, um, you know, outside of maybe 2005. I think uh, we actually got a chance to like focus on some of the the young, like exciting guys instead of the this like okay, no disrespect to Mike Trout, but he's a he's a very boring <laughs> player. Like he could walk into yep. a room and have like a sandwich board that says "I'm Mike Trout," and I wouldn't believe it. Like like okay, sure. Whatever you say, bro. And he's like probably the best outfielder since Mickey Mantle. <laughs> and nobody knows who he is. I don't even... Yeah, I, I... So, the, I mean, they, they were really happy. Like, obviously, the last year's with the sun when the, you know when they finally committed to the rebuild a few years ago it's like all right well at least we're not in this weird nick swisher uh stage where everything feels very like are we are we going for it or are we not it's very apprehensive 
you know, uh, rosters that they were rolling out there. So, so when they finally committed to it. It was really painful, but they hit, like, I feel like they hit on everything. Like Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn, I thought it had done a, a fantastic job. You know, uh, Aloy, Luis Robert, uh, Tim Anderson, like they've got these guys, they've got them locked up. They're all seemingly panning out right now. Um, it's, it was, I'm telling you, this season, just like Giolito's no hitter. They had, you know, the Abreu hit six home runs against the Cubs in the one series. They had the four home runs back to back to back. I mean, there were so many things that happened during the course of the season that were so much fun to like, why was, I'm telling you, man, the Sox were, it was, uh, it, it hit right at the right time uh, with everything else going on. It was, it was good to, it's good to get into that. Oh yeah. I mean, they're just, like you said, they're just fun. Like Tim Anderson, like getting a walk-off <laughs> home run and then just like basically chucking the bat as far as he can, like let, let him have some fun with it. You got you uh, yep. Robert with his gold chains on out there making diving catches. Yep. You know, Moncada just like yep. looking like he's lazy, but actually making some wild athletic plays. It, I love this team. I love yep. this team. And I'm guessing and, that's going to bring me and, like, and, you know, it was, it was fun. Cause like, it seemed like. Ev- oh, go for it. Oh no. I was just going to say uh, it, it terrors, terrifies me that, you know, we hired, uh, Tony Larusa to be our manager, like with well, such a was, young, exciting, you know, team. I, I was I was kind of hoping we could just talk about how good the White Sox were and then just skip over the part where they hired, uh, a, you know, Tony point oh eight Larusa. Um, he, you know, so like you have the White Sox who were basically competing to see who could wear their jersey with the lowest button open with the chains dangling and it was a blast. And then you go out and you get a guy who, who could not be more old and more white and more conservative and, and, and kind of an asshole part of my language than, than Tony Larusa. And like he, you know, so he hasn't managed since 2011. That was the first knock when, when the, when they fired Renteria, and I, and I actually agreed with the decision. I, I didn't think he had done a great job over the last couple of weeks and in and, and the playoffs, but, um, but a nice dude. So they, so they make the decision. I'm excited. I'm like, who are they going to go get? Is it Cora? Is it Hinch? Is it some, somebody else? Like, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. And then, and then immediately they're like, eh, it's probably going to be Tony Rusa. And I, I, I was like, I went through the five stages. It was like, first it was anger. It was like, no, this is, that's, that's a terrible idea. Then it was denial where it's like, there's no way it's actually going to be Tony Larusa. And now I'm like, and then I hit bargaining where I was like, well, you know, he managed in 2011 and he won a ring with the Red Sox in 2018 as an advisor. Like, you know, he probably get the baseball stuff down. And then, then it just, the, the DUI stuff came out and it just reopened all the like kneeling uh, he had, he had taken issue with Colin Kaepernick. He had supported a, a bill in Arizona, uh, an anti-immigration bill. Tony Russo is an asshole uh, yeah. and a, a drunk asshole. So. It, just uh, aside from him, just like being not fun, 
you're right. He is a drunk asshole. Like, I'm a, <laughs> telling the cop that pulls you over drunk. I'm a Hall of Famer. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the that, right. That's right. That's this that, ring that's is legit, you know. bro. <laughs> I'm a I'm a pretty important baseball guy. You're just trying to embarrass me. Like, no, Tony, you're an old, rich, white guy driving a Lexus. You're getting arrested because you're drunk. Like, you're not getting picked on because you're you're on the fridge. Like, dude, you've gotten every benefit of the doubt. You're actually a belligerent drunk. You deserve to go ridiculous. Again, I was, um, allegedly, the White Sox claimed that they knew about it before yeah. they hired him and made it official, which like then 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 make a statement why are you waiting for it to come out it just it felt like they really really poorly played everything yeah I, and i mean like you said not his first rodeo with the dui he got found uh right just passed out in a running car just he was driving and said you know what time to pull over no, no, no. I'm just going to stop right here in the middle of the street and go to sleep. That's, that's a, that's a, that's a real drunk move. That's a, yeah. that's a, you were extremely inebriated move. Oh, oh, now but, I'm sad again. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and, and here's the worst part about it is like, you know, we just spent, we just spent the last few minutes talking about how much, how fun this team was and how much fun the season was and, you know, talking about the future finally. And then you, and then they bring in Tony Russo and he's going to be the storyline. Yeah. Like if he manages well, great. They're going to buy in his relationship. If he manages, it's going to be magnified. Win a world series. That's the only thing. Yeah. And, and even still the, the first, few lines of whatever article comes out the next day is you know in spite of the the hiccups and the speed bumps and despite you know whatever the it's like this is that's the narrative right now is is dealing with Tony Luce's baggage and that's stupid yeah. that's that's it's dumb yeah yeah well and I uh, I had always liked Reinsdorf um just just because he was the white Sox owner and also owned the bulls which were you know obviously you know, it was a were blast um so i and he never seemed quite as evil as other owners but this this to me obviously everybody's saying it was his idea and his move and um i don't know reinsdorf bad idea yeah he's uh he's loyal to a fault and apparently he's felt for years that firing tony Larusa was like the biggest mistake of his baseball career. And I'm like, fine, bring him back for a bobblehead night then. Like, you don't hire him to be the manager again. Bring him in as a special advisor, like the the Red Sox or the Angels have done. Like, why are you going to put this guy back in a uniform in a dugout with this team right now? It's just, uh, it's weird. I think I would rather have Tommy Lasorda as a manager right now. I don't, I feel bad now. Oh, well, all right. He is alive. Yeah. He is hospitalized. So oh, prayers ew. up to Tommy Lasorda. Uh, he always seemed like a, it's not looking great, but. Oh, that. well, he didn't, he didn't look good when he was younger. <laughs> so when, when everything starts to deflate, it's, you know, like the balloon at the end of the party and 
Like it, it, it ends up under the couch for a few days and you finally find it and all the air has been slowly and it kind of gets that weird like soft, uh, you know, rotting fruit kind of vibe to it. I mean, again, no disrespect to Tommy Lasorda, but like clearly the balloon is deflated under the couch and it's not looking great here, but uh, prayers up to him and I hope he makes it. Uh, yeah, boy, do I feel like a dick for that throwaway joke. <laughs> well, I well, I feel like a I feel like a I, I mean, I just shout out more than you did, so I don't I don't think you have anything to apologize for. <laughs> Actually, I will I will say this: you mentioned the Reinsdorf's loyalty. It just it makes me wish, like, man, I wish I had met Reinsdorf as a kid and had just like. Yeah, somehow had gotten a job like shining his shoes for a few years because I'm sure he'd be you know plugging me into some. Be like, hey, Mr. Reinsdorf, I'll go and pick up your laundry for like three years, and next thing you know, boom, head of player development. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Name your position, man. Twenty years after your uh, expiration date. You'll always have a job with Reinsdorf. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh, you're head scout for the Chicago White Sox. What's your background? I played a little bit in high school. Also, I have a very <laughs> successful franchise on PlayStation. So <laughs> I think I know uh, how to build a winner. I uh, I think they need to go out this year, get some get some pitching. Or well, let me let me let me back up actually, because I think the the you know, Giolito and Keuchel are, are clearly two top, you know, uh, head of the staffs so are going to be fine. I hope that the other guys develop the way that they're projected to. And I think this team could be very good, but they clearly need a little bit of starting pitching. They need a right fielder. And um, I don't know. We'll see what happens, but I'm looking forward to it. Assuming that, you know, the season actually happens with some, some sorts of normalcy. Yeah. Uh, hopefully Kopik comes back next season. He's. Yeah. Uh, you know, so obviously it's disappointing because you know he came in the year before and and only pitched a little, but looked pretty electric and knocked it out. Um, this year, so I, I don't know if he's advertised, so be a fun one to have too. Yeah, anybody that can throw a hundred consistently, uh. You, you kind of want him at least as a closer. I mean, hopefully he doesn't, you know, flame out as a starter, but, you know, worked for Eric Gagne a few years ago with the with the Dodgers. Terrible starter, dominant closer. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and they've got this uh, this crochet kid uh, who, who didn't even go to the minors. He just came straight in after being drafted, and uh, he can get up there over 100 as well. So, like, if you, you know, you get those two guys in there, if if Kopech or Crochet turn out to be a viable starter, that's a that to that to me is a huge win. If even if they can just eat up some innings in in the middle or 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 turn into that closing role, if Colome um, uh, Colome gone, I don't even actually now I'm embarrassed to admit that I don't even know what happened to our closer. Um, but if one of those two guys can, contract. is he okay? So if um, you know, if one of those two guys can slot into that that setup or that closer role at some point, uh, you know, got a couple of fireballers at the top there, so that'd be nice. Well, since we were talking about exciting players, other than you know the young White Sox guys, anybody else that's kind of? Huh. Um, well, you're. 
I don't know if you're trying to go me into admitting that I really missed Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, and uh, and the and the only reason that I'm not apoplectic of having been traded for Jingles a few years ago is the fact that he plays shortstop, which is Tim Anderson. So like I've I've tried to uh you know get myself to the point where like well we wouldn't even have we we wouldn't even have been able to fill the team with Tatis and Anderson because one of them would have to move to a natural position. Whatever. But Fernando Tatis is I I love love that guy. Uh, and I hope he just keeps smoking them. I hope he keeps, uh, you know, flinging the bat TA style and, uh, and, and pissing everybody else off. I'm loving the guys down in Atlanta, Acuna. That is, mm. that's the guy. I love that kid. Like he is, he's got it. I feel like this next generation, like with Acuna, Anderson, um, Tatis. Uh, Soto. Uh, Soto in uh, in Washington. Yeah. Um, if baseball just leaves them alone and just lets them play, like, it could be so – because I don't think there's been, like, a cool baseball player since yep. Ken Griffey Jr. Yep, that's the first one I thought of when you said cool. I mean, and and the and the coolest thing and the coolest thing he did was wear his hat backwards. So like that that goes to show you just how conservative baseball was back in like the nineties. And there was like an uproar over that. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh man, like what is he? You know, like Griff, Griffey is Griffey was was incredible. Uh, and I'm with you. These guys that are coming up and just mashing the ball, watching it go out. Like to me, like the, my favorite bat flip um is uh was it batista uh, in toronto oh, joey bats yeah <laughs> yeah that that i don't know if anything will top that bat flip but that to me was like if if you can't get excited about that and like if you can't get on board with bat flips and and pimping your home runs after watching this then uh, then then baseball is going to be better off without you in the future because it, it's so cool he just hit a walk-off home run in the playoffs. That's something to be excited about. Like, also, uh, Trevor Bauer uh, with the Reds, is it? I think yeah. With the Reds, yeah. He had the best. Uh, oh, no. I love this take because uh, they asked him uh, about the Tatis bat flip. And he was like, okay, well, don't give up a home run. <laughs> that's it. I, that's the answer. Yeah, yeah. that's it. He's like, if you don't like him, you know, doing a bat flip, don't give up a home run. Yeah, I always, I always hated that. Like that rule somehow was like, if you hit a home run that, you know, and you take too long around the bases, you're either going to get hit or some other guy is going to get a ball thrown at him. Like that's not, and not to be like overly alarmist here, but let's not lose sight of the fact that you're throwing a projectile at a human being just just because somebody hit a ball over the fence and you're angry about it like don't be come on that's so don't be a chud also <laughs> i mean like if a pitcher strikes a guy out i see pitchers like fist pump all the time like yeah i think this We're is where <laughs> this is where softball has the advantage on baseball because like those girls if they hit a home run the whole team comes out of the dugout yes, and then they basically yes. perform like interpretive dance at the plate. Yes. Like, 
stomp yes. on them. Show it. I'm Show here off. for it. I'm here for it. I love it. I, I love it. Little league, like even in the little league in college baseball, you'll see a little bit of that sometimes, but like, I I'm with you on the softball and I just, I kind of hope that stuff eventually like becomes the norm five, 10 years into the future. It's just, it's just more fun when people seem to be having fun. It's contagious. So I don't know. Gotta go. Yeah. All right. I guess we can shift gears a little bit. Have you been paying attention to any of the NBA free agency stuff going on? Well, yes. Um, uh, I'm actually, so I was just, I was looking up the, I don't, I, I guess I don't know what the Bucks are going to do now that uh, Bogdanovich is, is in Atlanta. And actually, let me, <laughs> let me sneak this in. I actually think Atlanta is going to be sneaky good next year. Um, uh, you know, I think another year of Trey Young, they just signed Chris Dunn a few days ago. I think he'll have a role as a defensive specialist. Um, Bogdanovich, I think, is is going to be a good complement to that team. So I actually think the Hawks are going to be uh, uh, surprisingly this year. That's going to take player movement. Um, Houston got Cousins. I think that's an interesting move. Um, and there are a couple of a couple of other things. What what's been your sense so far? Like what what what's been the most surprising move? And like what do you think anybody's missed on anything so far? What's your sense? Uh, like you, I, I love what the Hawks are doing. Mm. Uh, I like the pickup of uh, Rajon Rondo, Chris Dunn. They got Bogdanovich, like you said. Um, they got John Collins, um, Trey Young, DeAndre Hunter, uh, yep. Cam Reddish, Kevin Herter. I mean, they're, Clint Capella, they're going to be a team that's going to make the playoffs at the very least. I think they're already Capella. better. That's right. I, yeah, I knew there was. I knew there were a couple of players I was missing. Rondo and Capella. I, I yeah, I agree with you, man. I I think and sneaky. I think that they're in the running. I feel for Giannis because they're gonna have an established star in Trey Young. They're gonna have cap space. They're in an attractive city. Uh, I I wouldn't be shocked if Giannis considered it. Really? So this I was gonna ask you. What? What is your sense on the? I, mean, I have an opinion, but I'm I'm like, is he is he leaving or is he staying? You think? Um, I feel like right now he's closer to leaving. Really, I do. Simply because I I don't think that. Uh, Coach Bud is the coach to get him to the next level. And I don't <laughs> see uh, Milwaukee getting rid of him because he's probably the best coach they've had in forever. Mm. Well, I, I guess I would think you'd run a move like that past it. Yeah. Like it, it's, it would, it would, it's surprising to me sometimes the disconnect between front offices and sort of their star players. And, and I, I get that you, you don't necessarily like, like depending on the player uh like somebody like lebron i think you know could probably move into a gm role you know next week and probably do pretty well yeah so i'm not saying you want to like involve every star player in every single decision and and basically turn over the reins but i i also find it really shocking that you get the sense sometimes that front offices are just wildly disconnected from like what their best players want 
and and how they would thrive and so like if a coach like like Bud Hauser or you know coach Bud uh if he's not you know if Giannis doesn't love the guy why you wouldn't be having a conversation with Giannis about what he would want in a coach and then going out and trying to find a guy like that or if Giannis says I love coach Bud like why you wouldn't be doubling down um it just seems it seems strange to me that some of the some of the scuttlebutt out of Milwaukee is that they don't know which way he's leaning at this point. And um, I, I take that like you as sort of a bad sign that he probably will leave. I guess the the, the, the reason, the one thing that I think he's going to stay is that I haven't heard any scuttlebutt about other teams really having put together packages, you know, to try and entice him. Uh, I haven't, I haven't heard any rumors about, him you know entertaining conversations with uh you know or those things so i don't know i have no idea but um i guess if you ask me flat out i would i'm gonna lean towards he stays with drew holiday and makes it work uh or tries to make it work but i don't know i mean i think that he might i wouldn't be shocked if he was in miami i I think miami would be a a good spot for him because i mean i don't put anything past pat riley I feel like he walks in with like his burlap sack full of championship rings. Wow. wow. Yeah, and he'll <laughs> he's gonna put together like oh, some kind of some kind of package with that, I don't know Tyler Hero and some random guy that he drafted that turns out to be like an all star. Like he always finds a way to make it work. So I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up in uh, Miami. I did hear rumor that Anthony Davis is only going to take a uh, a one-year deal to basically give uh, to maximize the Lakers cap space so they can make a run at Giannis. I just don't know how that would work on the court. So that so that lineup would be holy cow. That's uh wow. So that would be LeBron, AD, Giannis, and then they could run out uh, there then. with me and you, and they'd we, <laughs> <laughs> and still win the title. <laughs> that's let's see. You and I right now need to start making some calls to some people to set this up because that's. Uh, I'm will, calling Rich wow. Paul, and I'm signing with Clutch <laughs> as soon as I turn off this recording. <laughs> they could, man. Uh, that would be pretty incredible. It actually would be fun to watch them go three on five. Uh, with a couple of teams to see what what they could do yeah I just don't know how it would work like just just like basketball philosophy wise like somebody's gonna have to defer and I don't see Giannis I don't see two of those guys deferring like AD might defer to LeBron because they're friends I don't see AD deferring to Giannis and then I don't see Giannis deferring to AD and, you know, that whole no. thing. So, well, I think like, it's, I think it's interesting because like LeBron to, to me is sort of um, like, he's still dominant. It still can go out there and get whatever he needs to get, wherever he needs to get it. But I think he is transitioning into sort of the older or, or elder statesman role, uh, more of a facilitator. You know, yeah. he's not, he doesn't have to go out there and get 45 a night. Um, you know, he can, you know, he got them to the championship, you know, they, they, you know, they won that. 
you know, Anthony Davis played out of his brain, uh, you know, for a few games in the playoffs. I think he's, he's, he's going to be the guy for the long-term future there. You can put a, a guy like Giannis, AD, and, Le, you know, his role finishes over the next few years. Um, uh, I think, I think there's a pathway there. Um, but, but I also have no idea because, you know, LeBron and, and, and you and I are very close to each other in age. And like, I, I have trouble getting out of bed sometimes in the morning. Cause I'm so stiff. I don't know how he does it. He's defied age. So like, I, I'll, he's like, Oh, he's almost like Tom Brady. I won't bet against LeBron at this point. So who knows? Yeah. This morning when I got out of bed, I had to swing my legs out and sit them both on the ground before I got out. Like I didn't just like hop out of bed. Like I used to, like I'm, I am washed. I'm old. I can't do it. And I don't know how he does. Yep. <laughs> let me, let me ask you, are there any other moves that you've, you've liked any other moves that you've hated uh, so far with free agency? I like all of the Lakers moves pretty much. I like getting Harold. Yep. I like getting uh, Schroeder, uh, yep. bringing back um, KCP and uh, Markeith Morris on fairly cheap deals. Um, yep. They're, yeah, they're loading up for next year. I They got to be the favorites right now. Um, in terms yep. of moves I hated, I don't know what's going on in Houston, but that GM and owner have like completely alienated their best two players. And they're so, they don't have any draft capital to trade like with Russell Westbrook to like entice someone to take that contract. Um, And they're not going to get fair market value for James Harden. Like, no. So they're just kind of boned. I'm like, you, whatever it takes to keep those guys happy, you, you gotta, do to keep well, that, happy <laughs> yeah so so that's where i'm like that's where i i was kind of intrigued by the, the demarcus Cousins signing because i kind of feel like it's uh it feels i mean it feels a little bit like a hail mary where i mean they don't have many other options the, the contracts that are on russ and um, and harden are 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 in my opinion impossible to move so yeah. as much as those guys may want to get out and go somewhere else they're they're stuck or yeah. at least, you know, the, the beginning of the season. Um, but I think, you know, if, if Cousins uh, comes in and, and, and can play like he did, I don't know. I mean, when, when he was with the Warriors, he looked extremely rusty. I mean, the guy's been out of competitive basketball for, you know, a little while. But, um, but if he can come in and do some of those things that he was able to do in Sacramento, um, and gives them some semblance of a, maybe not a big three, but like a big two and a half. I, mean, like, I don't, I don't a, know. I feel like he's just a competent big body. And last year they had nobody over six five that was remotely competent. Like yeah. they had poor PJ Tucker down there, like guarding <laughs> Anthony Davis. And then they don't want to give him a raise. Like, that's what's another thing I don't understand. They're like, no, you're good with what you got. I'm like, no, that man earned a raise. You got him out here getting beat up by Anthony Davis and uh, Jokic and all these guys. And I'm like, he's 6'4". Like... I mean, I, I, I was not... I I admit I'm not the biggest James Harden fan. and, uh, And I was not 
a Houston Rockets fan over the last few years with their type of, uh, I mean, it was an effective style of play, but I, but I just, I don't know. I just was never able to get on board with, you know, chucking, you know, 700 three pointers a game. And, you know, I get sense it, I, I get why you do that, but, um, but I thought karma came to roost when they missed, what was it? The, the 20 plus threes in a row. Buddy, let me tell you, I hate the Houston Rockets <laughs> with a passion unlike any other. <laughs> Ever since Daryl Morey drafted up a spreadsheet and sent it to the league to tell them how they got screwed out of that game from officiating and left yes. out the 27 yes. missed yes. threes. Yes, yes. No, and you then, nailed it on the head. Uh, who was it that won MVP? Um I think it was the first, uh, was it Giannis that won it or, ah, boy, I, I'm forgetting the, it might've been Westbrook when he won MVP and then the, uh, the Rockets were all pissy that he's, uh, that James Harden didn't get it. And I'm like, he averaged a triple double dickheads. Like what's, what's wrong with you oh, people? Yeah. Yeah, that was um, so. I yeah, so I just looked it up. It was 2016-17. Uh, Curry had won it two years in a row, and then and then Westbrook. And I I I'm with you when when Russell Westbrook goes out there and averages a triple double over an entire season, which he then went out and duplicated it. Uh, which you know that's that says everything you need to know about Russell Westbrook, um, who I love, but. I don't know how there's any case for anybody other than Russell Westbrook that year. So the, the Rockets always engaged, you know, you brought up the Maury spreadsheet, like they always, they just felt entitled to stuff and they complained way too much. Uh, you know, James Harden doing his, his pump fakes and then jumping into the players to get the foul calls. Like, again, I, I understand the gamesmanship and, and I know he's a, I know he's a great score outside of that stuff, but like, I just, it, it was just never enjoyable to me. I always rooted against him. So I'm actually kind of happy uh, to see, you know, you know, see the, you know, the schadenfreude here. I'm enjoying it. But Monty Jones had a real good like comparison of like, he said Harden is a generational talent, but watching him play is like watching like a like lawyer ball like it's technically correct but you don't feel good about it <laughs> that's a great analogy and i was like perfect. that is absolutely correct because he is one of the greatest scorers i've ever seen in my life and i would rather watch paint dry and watch the houston rockets play <laughs> i think it's really interesting that you know they had the big three in oklahoma city uh didn't couldn't make it work everybody flew the coop and then, you know, Westbrook and Harden reunite. It, it ain't working. And now both of them want out. And, and, I, and I haven't gotten the sense they want out, like, together. You know, the rumor I saw with Flynn and the, uh, so, like, kind of stuff onto people you don't know. But, like, you, you kind of just got to back up and, like, win it. So you can't keep running and uh and do need a little bit more help than maybe you you're getting or we're currently getting and sort of you know having wistful regretful thoughts for the past and like trying to team up with the guys that you used to play with and hoping that one of them will carry you and like didn't didn't work with russ now you're gonna go latch back on to durant and hope that he can carry you like i'm sorry james but uh i don't know no love and uh if he thinks it's gonna work out like that in brooklyn 
with uh, the enigma known as Kyrie Irving. Kyrie yeah. Irving was on a team with LeBron and felt like yep. it was his team. <laughs> like yeah. Kyrie is a, he's a whole different kind of cat. And I don't think that it's him, Kyrie, KD, and James Harden. All three of them need the ball to score. I don't see Kyrie giving the ball up. Yeah, I'm not you, you sure. Talk, yeah. yeah, I'm not even sure how it's going to work with Kevin Durant, to be honest with you. But I feel like KD is more likely to come off the ball than uh, James Harden. Because James Harden will, he just dribbles the ball into the ground. I mean, and yeah, he's good at Harden. it, but... He needs the ball. Great. Yeah, like I, you're, you're right. Like Durant made it work in Golden State with with Steph and Thompson, uh, like and uh, and Draymond. Like when you when you can go to a super team like that and and still get your points without you know without eating into their their usage as well. Like I, I'm pretty confident Durant could probably make it work with just about anybody. Kyrie, Kyrie's one, like you said, he's an enigma. Uh, I don't, I don't know, you know, it depends on what side of the bed he wakes up, depends on what, but Harden has to get, Harden has to jack 35 points a game or 35 shots a game to like, to be in his rhythm, to get what he feels like he needs to get. That's not sustainable when you've got two other guys around you that, you know, are also being as patient as they possibly can, but, you know, needing to get their numbers. Yeah, it yeah, and Steve Nash as a head coach, I'm not sure how that's gonna work, uh, especially uh, after hearing uh, yeah. Kevin Durant, not Kevin Durant, uh, Kyrie say, uh, you know, some days I'll be head coach, and then some days Kevin Durant will be head coach, and then some days you know DeAndre can be head coach. It's like, no, you're <laughs> you don't get the no. seed power like it doesn't that, work like Taylor. that. <laughs> Steve Nash is the head coach. He's the guy that's going to be making the decisions. Like, yep. I feel like Kyrie, you know, he occasionally he's got something smart to say. Like, you know, he uh, earlier this year, you know, he asked the question whether or not they should be restarting at all. And I thought he had some really salient points. And you're kind of like, you know, he's he's not all galactic brained, but there's a there is a real hearty portion of mashed potatoes in Kyrie Irving's head that like it just I know he I know he I know he labels himself a thinker and uh and a questioner and you know god bless him but he is there's some there's some mashed potatoes in there that that are not all fresh look when he goes into kung fu Kyrie mode I don't know <laughs> if anybody can really put a handle on that so <laughs> let me so what do you so let, let let's talk Bulls. We talked about Reinsdorf, so we can we can do an awkward pivot back to the Bulls for a second. What uh, what um, what do you what do you make of their moves in the off season and and the draft and everything? Um, I was confused by the draft pick. I I thought that was a guy that would be there <laughs> if we you know traded down to like eight or nine. That guy would have been there. I I don't see anybody yep. drafting the six man from Florida state. <laughs> yeah. Top four. Um, yeah. But you know, uh, how do I pronounce his last name? Karnas Ovis. Uh, mm -hmm. He helped, uh, he helped build Denver into what they are right now. He found some diamonds in the rough. He found Jokic in the second round. Um, so 
I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, but I, I just got to say, I don't see the vision quite yet. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend to be the biggest uh, Patrick Williams expert in the world. I know that Florida State has had a pretty good team over the last couple of years, um, pretty decent program, and, and he came in as a freshman and, uh, you know, allegedly played pretty well. And, uh, you know, I, I think the thing about him, his draft pick, at least signals to me that Karnasovas and Eversley uh, have no idea what they have yet. Um, and, and, and probably similarly to like Bulls fans in general, like is Zach Levine capable of carrying this team? He looks like it, but we don't know. Is marketing going to be a viable, you know, NBA player? Like he, he has the tools. Um, you know, like I, I don't, they had, they had, they've had the worst, in my opinion, like the worst organizational structure, the gar packs, Hydra, that was a, a disaster. Then you have Jim Boylan, who, like, I don't know how how you don't tape him to a skateboard and, and set him off on a very high hill almost immediately. But, you know, so I just don't, I don't think, I think they're acknowledging they have no clue who's on their team and how the pieces fit together. Um, and so you draft a guy like Patrick Williams, who the young uh young and i think he looks like he can afford to put on Sussle on that frame like i know he's i think he's listed at at like 6 8 225 right now he looks like he could put on some muscle so i think he fills out if his shooting touches what everybody says it could be i think he could be really good but it ain't gonna be next year and i think they're kind of t- i think my my guess is their approach is you know season's gonna start in a month we have no idea what the circumstances are. We have no idea if any of these players are going to fit together, who's going to be here for the long haul. So let's get Billy Donovan in here to evaluate this. And next year will be sort of the, the, the like when you can finally start to take the handcuffs off and, and start making some moves. Yeah, I agree. I, I really like, uh, I like Billy Donovan. Um, yep. and I, I can't decide if it's because, uh, it, it's just like when we were talking about Joe Biden being president, like we, we just have an adult in the room. Uh, yeah. The last few years, yeah. Jim Boylan has just been like a, a dumpster fire, like putting up a punch clock for adults. Like, uh, so just no. having Billy Donovan come in and just like be just a, not the splashiest pick, but just a solid guy with a proven track record like who guys will respect like ah, it's a a breath of fresh air yep you put it right like i i you know ironically the team i'm probably most aside from the white Sox, um i feel like the bulls have the best trajectory at this point you know the blackhawks and the bears you know who lord knows what they're doing but like the the bulls finally got off their ass they fired garpax you bring in two guys that seem like they have, you know, a, a pretty solid foundation, uh, you know, found like basketball foundational understanding in Karnasovas and Eversley. That, I think that's a great move. That was awesome. I love the Donovan head coaching hire. Like you said, he's an adult in the room. You know, he can, he will be like, are, is this team ready to win a championship? Absolutely not. So I don't, I have no clue if Donovan is a championship level coach. Um, but he's he's playoff 
you know, qualified for sure. And I think rolled out some really deep teams for a lot of years and, and I thought worked really well with the, the personnel that he had. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm excited finally for somebody professional to be in charge. I feel like the fans for a long time were clamoring for things and we weren't getting it. And now like, so finally they've got people in charge who know what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, he did a really good job with like OKC and just like, they looked like last year, they were just all in on the tank and he juggled yeah. and massaged that lineup until boom, he's got himself a playoff team and they came within a shot of yeah advancing uh, past the Rockets. Like, that was a great coaching job there. He found Lou Dort buried all the way at the end of his bench <laughs> and had him as the best player in game seven of an NBA playoffs. That's like, well put, man. That's wild. That's well put. You know, and, <laughs> you know, the other thing about Donovan is like he was he was eminently successful at the college level. And while that doesn't always necessarily translate, what I what I do think it says is like this is a guy who's able to that you want to talk about Tony LaRusso. Like Donovan is a guy that I trust to be able to get on a player's level and, and either empathize or understand or be able to have a conversation about like what's going on in his life, what's going on in the world, what's going on on the court, and to be able to like tailor something that works with, with the pieces he's got. So um, yeah, I'm excited, man. Even, yeah. even if this season is going to be, I'm not expecting the, I don't know. Let me ask you, actually, do you, do you think the Bulls make the playoffs this year? I, I don't think they make the playoffs. I think they're just on the outside looking in. I think they probably went about, I think they might win 42 games though. Oh, well, but 42 then again, is usually, usually good for like the fifth seed in the East. So, well, with 70 games being played instead of 82, uh, I might have to good amend point. that. Uh, <laughs> point. I'm not that high on Billy Donovan that I'm, I got him going, you know, 42 <laughs> and 28. But if they don't make another move, their current lineup would be uh, Kobe White starting at a uh, point guard, Zach Levine, Otto Porter Jr., Lori Markin, and Wendell Carter Jr. That's that's a pretty solid uh, starting lineup with, you know, Sadoransky, Valentine, Patrick Williams, Thaddeus Young coming off the bench. That's – I think that is something we can work with. Let me uh, – can I ask you a question? I didn't tell Valentine him, but they let – I just – I just – I always liked him. Um, they – but they tendered – valentine like am, am i the only person in the world that doesn't like him i don't know uh i feel like i might be uh i don't know if i'm the right one to answer that just because i find him to be like he's just an average dude but uh up here in uh michigan they freaking love denzel valentine really <laughs> yeah because he went to michigan state so he's yeah they uh, oh he's so smart and then uh, and i'm like yeah he's a smart guy but it doesn't translate on the court like this in jeopardy like yeah sometimes talent trumps you know if you don't have the foot speed to keep up with somebody like i don't care if you know that he's going to his right if you can't get there to you know stop him he he's been in the league now for he, he got drafted in 
16 is that right um i can't can't remember now um he's look he's 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 had enough of an opportunity to develop yeah right so i'm 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 with you like you know he seems like a good dude he hasn't done anything wrong but also i'd challenge anybody to name me offhand what what is the what's the denzel valentine highlight like what what has he done that you can point to as having you know earned and deserved uh, a continuing spot in the nba he to be like you said he's average he's he's gonna fill out a roster but like i don't know i'd rather i, I guess in my opinion i guess i'd rather go with somebody like a a done i would have rather have kept done personally yeah but you know what you're getting uh, with him and he he he's healthier and he plays better defense that's yep uh but i think people saw um you know smart guy from michigan state and thought oh i'm gonna get like a draymond green uh and that's not what you're gonna get (laughs) no no he's uh he's shot 40 percent from the field he's a 36 percent three-point shooter 75 percent from the line he's he is the mendoza line of basketball players like it's there's nothing what like how you can't find anybody else there's nobody else out there that does anything marginally better than denzel valentine i'm just i'm shocked yeah yeah so i shocked and it's not like he's taken a particularly i feel like good deal for the bulls like i i feel like he's kind of overpaid i mean I'm I'm not knocking anybody oh. for getting more money. Get that money, but uh, I right, right. I'm yeah, I'm confused. Yeah, he's he's. Uh, I don't know what his latest contract is, but I'm with you. I I do feel it's it's a it's a little on the high. Uh, oh, so let's see. It's it's one year, four point seven million. So like, I guess you could make the argument. All right, you're not going to break the bank on it. One year, sort of audition for the new regime in Chicago, yeah. but like. I don't know. His career stats, 6.8 points per game, two rebounds, one assist. Like, all right, let's, I guess we'll take a flyer and see what happens this year, but let's run it back. Why not? <laughs> right. Do one more. Let's go. One more, <laughs> one more. Uh, I, um, so let me, so I guess real quick on the bulls, what, what do you think needs to happen for them to be a playoff team? Like, um, do they need to get another player? Does somebody need to develop? What's your thought? Uh, I two things. I think they need to decide or see if Zach Levine is that is that dude. Is he yep. the guy that's going to take him? Because right now I can't decide if he's a very good player or if he was just the best player on a bad team. Those guys always kind of worry me. I think that he's a good player, but it. What can we get in return if we were to trade him? Would that help us more? I interesting I, thought. I think we could probably get a first round pick and a player, and then just kind of go all in on you know, go all in on Laurie, go all in on Kobe. I don't know. I I think though you got to decide though is Levine your guy. Um, other than that, you you just gotta develop Patrick Williams and kind of warrant that. I actually, no, I think you're I think you're spot on with Levine. I'm thinking 
when we dropped in the call at the, the Bulls roster one last time. And, and I agree with you, Kobe. Kobe White coming in looks, appears to be, you know, sort of the guy of the future. Like, he seems to have a solid core and, uh, you know, like something that he could theoretically build off of, hopefully. You know, I think Wendell Carter and Markinen, you know, those guys, to me, this is, this is a year that, especially for Markinen, you know, I think Wendell, Wendell's got, you know, another year before you really start getting worried. But like Markinen, to me, this is a make or break for him. If he comes on and Wendell comes on and Kobe continues to improve, I think, yeah, I think a guy like Levine um, almost becomes expendable. In the, or, or, and maybe expendable is the wrong word. Flexibility is, I think, what he gives you. And to your point, you know, you can trade him for, for assets uh, or you're like, you know what? He is the guy. These other players are developed. We're right on the cusp. We just need, you know, we need Patrick Williams to develop for another year. We need one more free agent next year to do this thing. Um, but I'm with you. I think, I think Levine, this is going to be a really interesting year from a Markin and Levine standpoint. Um, I think, I think if Patrick Woods does develop, I think he renders, you know, Otto and, and, you know, Otto expendable. And, I feel like Otto is um, probably going to be fills gone. in pretty nicely. So I think Otto's gone by the end of the year anyway. Uh, is this the last year of his deal? I want to say it's the last year of his deal and he is, He's getting paid a shit ton. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we want to talk about somebody securing the bag. Oh, I know. He's not too Otto. bad. Four point four seven. Okay. Who's Who no? Otto. Otto's. Otto's making twenty seven this year. Wait, okay. Yeah. Where? What is going on here, Google? This is this is terrible. <laughs> no, I'm. I yeah. I think. I think Otto is is at twenty seven a year. I think he is. Yes, because he signed really a really highly paid. Yeah, he signed a four-year, hundred and six million dollar contract with the, uh, with the Wizards. So, this, yep, this is his last season, and he is getting paid twenty-eight point five million. Oh my God! So, that expiring <laughs> contract is going to be very valuable come trade time. <laughs> That's a good point. Oh my goodness. That's a good point. I hadn't even considered that. That's a great point. Yeah. He's he, I, I, all right. I'm, I'm fully on board with the, uh, with your auto gone before the end of the year. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. There's, there's yep. no way he finishes the year here. No, and there's right. also no way he ever sees $28 million in a season again. <laughs> no, enjoy it. Otto. <laughs> enjoy it. Oh man. That's uh. he, he's a, um, I mean, I like Otto. Actually, I have nothing against him. I like his game. I just think he's wildly overpaid. Yeah. But that's uh, that's the we can thank the Washington Wizards for everything they've done with between poor John Wall and oh. and Otto and everything else they've got going on over there. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what happens in Washington, but it does. Bradley Bill seems to be doing okay, but everybody else <laughs> that signed an extension, <laughs> it, it don't usually end too well. Oh, Gilbert oh, Arenas. Uh, oh, Gilbert. Agent Zero. Hibachi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Good stuff. Oh, man. That, had, did you hear anything about um, the comments from Dabo Sweeney? 
which ones where do you want to start with it I'm, I'm just sticking with the uh, the fsu ones but i got more of them if you want to talk about them you know dabo first of all is dabo his given name or is that a nickname i, because... I feel like it's got to be his given name <laughs> I mean, I guess either way, it just illustrates the point even more that this is a guy. Oh, William William Christopher uh, Sweeney is actually his given a name. So Dabo is a nickname. Which, oh, all right, anybody whose name is Dabo Sweeney and coaches, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, an, uh, an ACC or an SEC team uh, like that, and has those kinds of thoughts. You, you know exactly where on the political side is going to fall and um his F- fsu thing is actually really aggravating we're having a good it's hard not to get angry when you hear a guy get up on the podium and accuse another team of of using a, a global pandemic to get out of some stupid football game between Florida State and Clemson in a in a really stupidly shortened season, it's just it's the it's the it's the nadir of 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 bad just bad thoughts. I don't know how else to put it. I know that wasn't a super eloquent, but Dabo Sweeney, boy, just on a couple of reasons why it's stupid. Okay, so he said the. I don't want to get his words wrong. Let's see. All right. It looks like I did not write down what he said exactly, but to basically accuse FSU's administration who won, they would want the game to go on so they would get paid. Uh, that That's what this whole season has been about to me has been a gigantic money grab. So I don't think the FSU administration would cancel a game just because they thought they might lose. They know they're going to lose no. the Clemson. Like they're not a very right. good football team right now. Right. Um, you let a guy who is showing symptoms get on a plane with your team, fly with your team, then practice with your team. And then FSU found out and they didn't want to yep. play because yep. you just exposed your entire team to a guy that was showing symptoms. That, yeah, he. That's it. <laughs> his the the quote. Uh, I mean, I googled it. He goes, "the the game was not canceled because of COVID nineteen. COVID nineteen was just an excuse." And to be honest with you, I don't think it has anything to do with their players. Like, you, you put it, you put it so well. Like, Dabo, you messed up. You you're the one who made the error. The guy was, the guy was symptomatic. The player. Uh, so why is he practicing and traveling anyway, even with a negative test, which I think we we're at the point guys, we're, at, we're 10 months into this thing. I think we know the testing is not 100%. Okay. It's not hundred percent effective. What are you doing? Yeah. And, and then it just like brings into like a, all of the other statements he's made, like during the whole, um, they asked him about, um, Colin Kaepernick kneeling and, you know, just police brutality, injustice, that kind of thing. And he goes, you know, we don't have a brutality problem. We have a lack of God problem and we need to pray more. And I'm like, shut the hell up, Dabo, before I come to South Carolina and slap you with my ring hand, because that is not answering the question at all. Just say no comment. 
Yeah. I think he even came out and said, uh, and I, I, you know, I should probably Google this as well, but I, I think he said that he would, he would rather quit or retire than see players get paid. I think he said something like he'll, he'll quit coaching. Yeah. The day you know, if, guys if, get paid, yeah. he'll, uh, he'll retire. Good. He is, Bye. He is, he is the highest paid public employee in South Carolina. And, and I don't know where he falls on the list. He might be the highest paid public employee in the country. I have no idea, but he makes nine, he makes over 9 million a year. Yeah. It, it is absolutely insane for him to say that. <laughs> I, I don't even know. It, it just, I don't know. Dabo, Dabo, Dabo is a guy that they should tape to Jim Boylan on that skateboard that they let go at the top of that hill. Dabo, uh, I, you know, they should just 69 him. Pardon my language, but just, <laughs> you know, put, put Dabo head first at Jim Boylan's feet. I'm okay with Boylan going feet first down the hill, you know, but, uh, but Dabo, um, just the most tone deaf, infuriating stuff and the problem is is that you know if you want to get like make it down in the south like people people love college football clemson's a big time program uh you know they're gonna listen to what you're saying and, and he comes out and he's like you know covid 19 is not that big of a deal florida state just uses an excuse is it um, to say nothing of the fact that his team, he's not even addressing the fact that he, he may have a COVID-19 outbreak on his team right now, that he doesn't even know what the end result of all this could be. Uh, it's, it's bananas. I mean, he's, he's got the presumptive number one pick in the country who already tested positive for COVID. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Which, okay, I didn't understand any guy who was already believed to be a first round pick why would you come back and play this year? Like that wide receiver from LSU who they have as the number one uh, wide receiver in his class. He's like, hell no, I'm not risking getting COVID for this. Fuck this. I'm not playing. And that. Yeah. I would genius. Genius. I was, I I'm with you. I was surprised to see guys like Lawrence who, who, who actually seems based on some of the social media that he put out, seems to have like kind of in two in tune with like like the broader picture going on in society he seems to like kind of you know like i guess i assume he gets it based on what he's saying you hope but like so here's a guy who seems relatively smart relatively in tune you know justin fields is another guy in ohio state that like is going to be drafted highly what is the incentive for these these guys to come in and play six games who are you auditioning for? You're going to get drafted one, two. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't get it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I guess it's just this, you want to go out there and play with your team. I, I get it. You, they just need like an older brother or a dad or somebody to pull them to the <laughs> side and be like, Hey, you got to look big picture. Like in this instance, a LeVar ball would be great. <laughs> That's right. Dude, that's oh you know oh man that's a great point you know when uh when lavar ball it would be the voice of reason in some of these kids heads it's like that's you know things are way off the tracks but you're right 
you know, and, and Lawrence, you know, we don't, I, and here's the other thing, actually. Um, we don't know how any of these players are responding to COVID-19. We basically are notified, all right, well, we had a bunch of players test positive or, you know, we had a couple positive cases, games postponed or whatever. We have no clue if, if there are any long-term repercussions or whether these players have had fevers, whether they are having trouble breathing, whether there's been any effects. You hope a guy like Trevor Lawrence is going to be fine, that he it was asymptomatic and he's not having any problem. But there's a chance that he's got long-term health stuff. I don't know why you would mess around when you're the presumptive one-two you know, I don't, I don't get it. There's millions of dollars at stake, man. Just take it easy. And you've, you've won a national title before, like chill out. You like, I, I, I don't get it. And there was a, hey. all, there was a kid in, um, was like a cross, uh, cross country, um, athlete gets COVID. Uh, this kid said like, they're tired, just going to the bathroom now, just like walking down the hall to get, like to go to the bathroom. I'm like, these are fine tuned athletes with excellent endurance and they're exhaust. I have better cardio now than some of these cross country <laughs> guys. And my cardio is terrible. Well, there, there was the player on the uh, Jaguars who I, and I cannot think of the name. He was, uh, I think he was projected to be the starting or, or in the running back committee that the Jacksonville Jaguars were going to run out this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and he got COVID-19 over the summer. He's, and he, he's not playing. He's still dealing. With, I mean, I, you know, I know statistically these guys are, are the vast majority of them are likely going to be fine, but you're going to have, you know, a handful of players that are going to be really like, who knows what's going on with Cam Newton in new England. They were two and oh, or, or two and one. They almost beat the, the Seahawks. Uh, and then Cam gets COVID and all of a sudden, you know, he doesn't look, the I don't same. Know, maybe it's, maybe it's not, but yeah, he just, he does not look very good. The last same thing with Ezekiel Elliott. He got COVID and now he's like fumbling the ball left and right. He's not able to like accelerate like he did last year. I mean, I think there's some to it. Yeah. And, you know, and we're just, obviously, you know, we don't have, we don't know for sure. We're basing this on their performance, but the NFL also, is we're we're never going to know until these players are, you know, out of the league or, you know, it's years later when, when, you know, their careers aren't in jeopardy. The, the culture in the NFL is, is such that, you know, you kind of just put on your pen and you just go out there and do it that they were affected by COVID-19. But I, I find it impossible to believe that, that no player in the NFL is struggling right now with, yeah. with, you know, the after effects. So, yeah. So, yeah. So way to go, Dabo. Uh, Way to put your (laughs) (laughs) guy. That's a long winded way to say, screw you, Dabo Sweeney. (laughs) Well, I'm guessing that we should probably wrap it up with, so I was thinking, give your favorite action hero. You brought up villain. We brought up uh, most trash characters. I got enough for all three of those. Uh, all right, all right. So, I, I'll let you go first. You you tell me. With 
So, so these are all three really good ones. I, I am, I'm most excited to talk about my trash character because, um, you know, because it's, uh, I think, I think it's the most interesting of the three. But I'll, I'll tell you. So my, so my hero would be Indiana Jones. I know it's not real creative, but I, I, to me, Raiders of the Lost Ark is as perfect an action movie as will ever exist. And I think, like you know, John McClane in Die Hard is great. Specifically, I think for the reason that he's like kind of an everyman hurt and you know like walks he's not rambo he's not arnold schwarzenegger uh he's a guy that like takes some shots and i think indiana jones is a guy that seems to take shots harrison ford i think does a great job um so that for me that's my that's my movie hero um uh, I will. Uh, who who do you have at the top there? Uh, so I also uh, had John McClane near the top, but uh, my guy, bit my favorite action hero, I have John Wick, because oh. I <laughs> would also shoot someone if they mess with my dog. <laughs> I can respect a man that goes on a murderous vendetta because someone fucked with his dog. <laughs> I uh, I will tell you I was late to the John John Wick franchise. Um, I don't remember exactly that movie came out at maybe in seventeen sixteen or seven. I can't remember. Uh, I did not see it actually until last year, and um, uh, and a couple of friends of ours from high school had recommended it, uh, and I I popped it in and I was I was live texting with them while the movie was going on. They'd both seen it, and um, and I and I was like, oh my god, this is you know, this is so tragic. This, this opening is so tragic, but at least he has this dog that, you know, and, and I, I, I truly envisioned the rest of the movie being John Wick and his sidekick dog solving crimes and beating up <laughs> bad guys. And then, you know, and then, and then a few minutes later, I am, I'm doing pushups on the floor and I'm researching how to learn Kung Fu because I'm so jacked up and I'm ready to go get these guys the same way John Wick is like, I, I'm with you. That, those are those are great movies. Yeah, that's a movie where I'm like, I'm not even like a dog person like that. Like, I like my dog. <laughs> I don't like every dog. <laughs> so for me to like have an emotional attachment to this little dog after like five minutes, I was like, okay, I get it. I, I see why you went on a murderous rampage. I would do it. Yeah, they do a great job of like, contextualizing why it's okay for John Wick to violently murder 47 people throughout the course of the movie. Uh, they they set up like just, his... Some of them were just henchmen who were just like doing their job. That's <laughs> <laughs> always, it's always funny. It's funny when you think about it like that. Some of these guys they're villains, but we just low-level guys who told him guard this door, and the next thing you know, you're having your neck broken by the best assassin in the world. There is some tragedy there. <laughs> but you like John Wick, so like you let it slide. Who so so who do you <laughs> well and it's and it's totally understandable when his wife dies and then you murder the, the puppy. Yeah. 
Um, who do you, so, so I, I'll, I'll spoil it. Uh, my villain's not very creative either. It's Hans Gruber from Die Hard. We just talked about McLean. Um, I'm probably missing somebody on par, but I just feel like Alan Rickman is Hans Gruber. Uh, he's, he's, he's smart. There's a little bit of a twist to how they're doing their heist. Um, he's personable. He's funny. You know, like when him, when he switches and immediately, you know, falsifies his identity to John, when John McClane gets him, like, that's a great moment. Um, and, uh, I don't know, tough to beat. Who do you got? Uh, I also have Hans Gruber on my list. Uh, he was yes. just a different kind of villain. Like, he wasn't like this over-the-top, like, super villain. He was just this cunning, maniacal dude who could tone it down at the right moments to, like, not have to shoot his way out. Like, he can talk his way out of getting, you know, getting caught. Uh, but I did yep. have two ahead of him. I had uh, Anton Chigurh from No Country for Old Men. And... I think my top guy was Kaiser Soze. Ooh. Yeah, you 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 pulled the rug out from me. I knew I was missing some good ones. Uh Shiger is is incredible. That's one of my favorite movies, old, uh, No Country for Old Men. Um boy, Kaiser Soze and Usual Suspects. Uh I mean the whole the whole movie is about the villain and you don't even know it. Like that's that's a good one. That is probably the best twist I've I've seen in a movie ever. I I can't think of one that had me like jump up and go just like yelling at the TV. And I'm not going to do a spoiler alert because the movie came out 20 years ago, 20 plus years ago. Like get over it people. Uh <laughs> yeah, maybe we <laughs> I that that twist is so good that when I watched it, so my my parents had seen it and they loved it so much that and I think the movie came out in like ninety five or ninety six. Like I was probably too young to be watching a violent movie like this, but they were like, "You got it," you know. Like they they you know they they rewatched it with me because they were so excited, and the twist was so good. Or maybe I'm such an idiot that when it occurred at the end, and the movie ended, they looked at me and they were like, "Do you understand what just happened?" And I was like no i don't like i i was like i i don't understand like is is he good or not and and that's how i mean again it probably says more about me uh than than anything but like it was it was good it was a really well done twist it was great i just like how they like how they revealed it like the guy in the hospital bed, like screaming Kaiser Soze, and you got Kevin Spacey like limping off, and then slowly just like <laughs> turning it into like almost a little like Saturday Night Feverish kind of strut down the street. And I'm like, what the shit just happened? <laughs> <It does. laughs> oh man, that's a that's a good one. That's a great movie right there. Uh, good picks. <clears throat> yeah excuse me so um so you so the, the so the last one the the trash character uh and i don't know if you're if you're gonna go with who you you posted about on instagram but you you literally made me lol you had the post on instagram that talked about grandpa joe from charlie <laughs> the chocolate factory 
Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go with Grandpa and, Joe. I have, I have assumptions he's the most <laughs> but it's doing nothing, leeching off this family. And then when Charlie gets this ticket, miraculously, that, that guy jumps out of bed and is dancing around the room. That's a trash guy right there. I would, if I was his daughter, I would have been furious. He is laying in a bed with three other people, a filthy bed, eating like cabbage soup constantly because he's too lazy to get up and go to work. There is no more trash a character. That, and then... <laughs> What, what makes it worse, he's a shitty human being, like, teaching Charlie lessons, like, oh, we're going to take this uh, candy that we stole. This is proprietary information from the Wonka factory. You stole the Everlasting Gobstopper, and you're going to sell it. Like, you are a dick, Grandpa Joe. You're the worst. <laughs> Charlie broke the rules. He lost. Good he almost, day. <laughs> he almost gets them killed at one point, too. Yeah. Why are you drinking fizzy lifting drink? He told you not to drink it. <laughs> Dude, I'm sweating. I'm laughing so hard. I'm sweating. That's I didn't bad. realize That's I had this much anger about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. But Grandpa he's Joe a, really pisses me off. He's trash. And you're right. Imagine taking care of a loved one in your home for years under the, under the misconception that they are an invalid, that they are somehow unable to do for themselves, and you have been bathing them and feeding them and cooking for them and working long hours to support the additional mouths in your household. And then all of a sudden, your son is like, oh, I'm going to the chocolate factory. I need someone to go with. And Grandpa Joe hops out of bed, perfectly capable of running and jumping and dancing. You're like, well, I'll take the kid. Like, Ugh. Yeah, he would have had to hop, jump, and run out of my damn house because me and him would have been fighting. I would have fought Grandpa Joe. All the other grandparents Put stay him. in the bed. They're they're literally invalid, so I'm not mad at them. But <laughs> Grandpa Joe is just like, well, it's working for them. I think I'm going to pretend to be a leader. <laughs> I, I have not seen that movie in a long time but now when i re if I, I, i'll see it again at some point you know i've got a young son uh when i watch it again it's going to be impossible not not to hate <laughs> grandpa joe the entire time oh I, my goodness like this started coming to me like a few years ago like it was on tnt or something and i was like how did i not see this before like this guy's an asshole like he's the villain in the movie like, not Slugsworth or whatever. That's just a rival candy guy. Grandpa Joe, he's the worst. Grandpa Joe is the worst. And you're right. He, he is, he is a, the completely worst role model for Charlie to have. He's the worst. Yeah, like, why wouldn't Charlie's mom go with him? She busts her ass taking care of everybody in that house. Like, doesn't she deserve a day off? Not the guy who's had his entire adult life off, it appears. Does Charlie have a dad in that movie? Do you remember? I don't remember. 
He might be at a I'm job sorry. because he's got to take care of four <laughs> grandparents who are living he's in his working, living room. He's working four jobs, 25 <laughs> hours a day to support that. He's going to come home and Grandpa Joe is not going to be in the bed. And he's immediately going to go, oh, my God, Grandpa Joe is dead. And they're going to no, sit down for this one. He's actually at the chocolate factory with Charlie right now. Believe it or not, he's having this wondrous field trip. And, oh. Oh my God, the tantrum that I would, if it could only be described as a tantrum because, buddy, I would, oh my God. <laughs> I'm just getting well, worked up thinking about if I came home and that was like my life. Well, and this is, and this is why, this is why your take on Grandpa Joe is so good is that there, I, I, I love the idea of like who are other trash characters. I struggled name somebody on par with grandpa joe so like i've i've got a name i've got a character that i that i actually think is pretty trash but nobody like grandpa joe's trashness is subtle like you he you're led to believe that he and charlie are this team they're going through the chocolate factory but like when you really step back and take take a look at it he's he's trash he deserves to be on the skateboard with Dabo and jim boylan yeah yeah um I was, yeah, like you, I couldn't really come up with anybody that was like trash to this level. Like there was trash, like um, Calvin Candy from uh, Django, like, but he's just like a sociopath. Like, so I don't know if that qualifies as trash per se. Um, Why, uh, I'll I'll go first. It's your, it's your podcast. You'll you'll get the, uh, you get the home field advantage. Um, so I, I went, I went with, I tried to go with somebody who wasn't an overt villain in the sense of like, obviously villains are going to be written a certain way and are going to be, you know, overtly bad. But, um, so I went with somebody who, who I tried to think was a little bit subtler, uh, comes across as a little innocuous, maybe a, a victim of circumstances per se. Uh, but I went with John Hammond from Jurassic Park who uh, is, is the old guy who owns Jurassic Park, basically puts it on. This is, a, this is a guy. This is a guy who the entire movie says things like, we spared no expense, okay? They spared no expense except he's got two guys running his control center <laughs> for an entire island full of prehistoric creatures. He invites his two grandchildren to the island to, to run through the bugs and test drive the, the tour puts them in a car with 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 people he doesn't even really know and sets them loose in a park with a tropical storm bearing down their parents are you know i don't even know if he's notified his 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 daughter or son whoever's parents they are and uh, and then is found later in the movie just eating ice cream in the in the dining room he's not taking any sort of active role whatsoever <laughs> he makes he makes the hunter uh, Muldoon get in the jeep to go get his kids he has nothing to do the entire movie except uh tout his new his new toys and basically get everybody killed why wouldn't you you spare no expense why would you not spring for at least a couple of other coders and programmers who could possibly watch things when dennis nedry has to go to the vending machine i have no idea he's trash very valid points um I, let's see, so I was thinking I'd go possibly John Q, 
I find John Q to be. <laughs> oh, oh my god! Oh my god! Uh, oh my god! Because it's the absolute like worst plan in the history. Like just based off stupidity, I found him to be quite trash. Like, okay, your son needs a heart transplant, so your your genius idea is to take the hospital hostage. That makes absolutely no sense because guess what? If if they bend to your demands and start doing a transplant, they're gonna come arrest you and they're not gonna do the transplant for the kid. Right. Um, and then he's like, basically like, well, I'll kill myself and he can have my heart. Well, okay, genius. Uh, I think someone needs to be there to harvest it. And if you're like bunkered away in a room, like sweating away, Who's going to harvest the organ to make sure it can still be used? So, yeah. uh, John Q was one of my trash characters. And because I have a child and I watch cartoons a lot, um, Ernesto uh, from Coco was extremely trash. I'm, wow. Uh, not, have, you, have you seen... So... So I've not we uh so now I'm like I need to watch Coco because it's I, I've heard such great things about it. Yet watched it with with our little guy, but uh but do share now. I'm really curious. Uh okay. Well, I mean, if you're giving me permission to maybe spoil it a little bit here. Um so he basically poisons uh he poisons his partner in music, steals everything that he's written and his guitar and became famous. And the movie is about like basically this guy in the afterlife finding out that his his partner has, you know, killed him for his music, oh, for fame. My goodness. Um, so yeah, that's that's probably uh my other trash. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Wait, this guy killed his friend for his uh, music? Yeah, this is a Disney movie, by the way. So <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. oh boy. Oh, that is um well, I'm hopping on the Coco train and uh I'm gonna, we're gonna I'm gonna pop that bad boy in uh and check this out. Ernesto de la Cruz, huh? <laughs> oh yeah. Real All piece right. of crap, this Ernesto. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait. This is great. Oh my goodness. Trash characters, man. I love it. Oh, those are good, man. I'm, nobody obviously is going to beat the Grandpa Joe, but no, uh, those are some good ones. Yeah, the hate for Grandpa Joe is like so visceral inside me that like I didn't even have to take notes. Like for everything else, I, I tend to like write down notes, like points I want to make. Like, no, that hate is in my heart. I just got to let it out. <laughs> oh, man, I'm on board and I'm here for it. Like I said, when you when you mentioned it on Instagram and I saw it, I, I literally LOL'd and I messaged you about it. So, uh, Grandpa Joe, Grandpa Joe, trash man extraordinaire. Indeed. Well, yeah, uh, uh, I appreciate you, man. Oh man, I'm, this has been fun. Uh, first of all, it's 
I, dude, I miss you. Uh, it's good to see you. It's been good to hear from you. Um, this has been a, a long, strange year for everybody. Uh, I'm glad to hear that you're doing all right. I'm glad to hear the family's doing all right. But uh, but I just want to tell you, man, I love you. And uh, it uh, really, <laughs> honestly, this is a blast. So I really appreciate you. Um, uh, appreciate you chatting with me, dude. Oh yeah, man. And we got to get one with like JT and Marcus. Let's do it. Uh, specifically JT, because I feel like he'd say something that would get us all canceled. Uh, he's yeah, he's he's the guy you bring on when you need a ratings bump. Uh, and and you're the kind of kind of person who's like, well, all news is good news. You know, so like if you need if you need a hit, he'll he'll deliver. It just might not be uh, just might not be in positive light. I will record like a very somber disclaimer beforehand. Like uh, we touch on some topics this week that some of you may not agree with. Um, I certain it's not a reflection of this podcast, but uh, I thought it would be good conversation. So uh, just give it a chance. The, the, the thoughts and the thoughts and opinions expressed herein are those of the individuals expressing it. I'm not representative of the podcaster himself. Oh boy. Please don't care. Well, give my, <laughs> give my, give my best to the fam, dude. Um, I love you, and uh, you know I'd love to do it again. So, uh, oh, if you're well, down, I'm down. Oh, we're definitely doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I can't wait, dude. All right, man. You take it easy. You too. Be well. Thanks, Peace. bud.